Geek Spook Show, I'm Kyle Carezzi. If you're listening to this recording around the time of its release, you should go without saying that uh, if you're participating in any of the protests, uh, stay safe and do your part, because they're not always mutually exclusive. story is called Roland's Quest for Hand Sanitizer. First week that COVID had their first recorded uh, diagnosis in America, in California specifically. It was the week that grocery stores were swarmed. People didn't quite understand the nature of the virus. And between you and this storyteller, people still don't. This was the first wave of disarray. And people just went uh, into a panic hoarding, buying off all the toilet paper, all the gloves, all the face masks, all the medical supplies, all the rubbing alcohol. Most famously, all of the hand sanitizer. Now, Roland wasn't someone who often went to hysterics when he went shopping. He always had a cool head, even if he was doing personal shopping of some sort, you know. He would always buy things rationally. Only buy, only bought what he needed within those next few weeks to a month. And frankly, he didn't go shopping too often. But during that first wave of hysteria, during the coronavirus pandemic that struck 2020, he knew that he had to stock up. The 
by p participating in the panic shopping, he would also be causing more of the problem as well. So when he went shopping, he told himself to just get enough for him that can last him a little while, and enough to share with people he cared about. Because God forbid there's a, a tumultuous occurrence where people desperately need medic supplies. shopping, he went to this, uh, undisclosed, uh, Kroger-based store. He could feel it in the air, all the panic shoppers had. Seeing all the shopping carts, as high as... high as two shopping carts. Like every every almost every shopping cart had their own mountain to it. And that mountain above the shopping cart was the same height of that cart. But he still had Roland still had his cart. Tried to keep his shopping modest, though he did stock up nothing beyond his means. And he didn't go for the products that people tended to go for. He didn't go for any of the pastas, uh, none of the peanut butter jellies or white breads. He avoided all the products that people went for when they didn't know how to cook, which were all out anyway. Hot dogs, you name it. I'm sure you can think of what other items would be on that list. for a lot of things he would usually get. He was already stocked up well in the house as it was. He ate sustainably. He ate healthy. But the one thing he did need from this undisclosed Kroger location was hand sanitizer. You see, this was the third store he went to in this day to find it the other two didn't have it. And it was getting to the point where it was becoming more of a quest than anything. So when he went to the aisle uh, with all the pharmaceutical goods, it was as he predicted was no hand sanitizer to be found. Just empty shelf over empty shelf. It's 
trying to think of alternatives of what he could do if he couldn't find hand sanitizer or rubbing alcohol. encountered someone in a mysterious trench coat and a rainstorm hat for some reason. And he crept really close to Roland and he said, you're looking for hand sanitizer, aren't you? And Roland said, yeah, yeah I am, but who isn't really? guy in the raincoat laughed. And he said, I can get you some hand sanitizer. But it'll come at a price. And Roland said, uh, a bit impatient at this point. Well, what doesn't, really? Deciphering this snark, said, Alright, fine, you know what? And then he just slaps a bottle of hand sanitizer in Roland's hand, and he just said, You can pay, pay me back later. And then he storms off, disappearing into the crowd. expecting to buy, and he had to take moments to deliberately not get caught in the hysteria of the panic buying, only getting what he needed. So when he got back, he all this stuff away, all this groceries and whatnot, you know. Put his tote bags in the closet, you know. Cooked himself a nice meal, you know, from some chicken he already had in the fridge. And then by the end of a night, started to wash his hands, but then he got to thinking of using the hand sanitizer. But he never got around to using it, he just sat on his Another two weeks. And he thought 
you know, based on the way he lived and whatnot. He didn't quite need the hand sanitizer. He thought, oh, maybe I can, you know, bring it to go when I travel to places. But even then, there was always a place to wash his hands nearby for the places he did travel. stock over hand sanitizer, you know, maybe I don't actually need it as much as I thought I get, thought I did. But he still carried it with him, you know, when he would leave the house and whatnot. he opened it and smelled it, and it just kind of smelled like vinegar and lemon. And he thought, oh, this, surely this couldn't even be any real hand sanitizer. So out of a curiosity, he opened the bottle and just poured it on the table at his house. table and it just started to erode the wood to eat right through it. It's just like, oh my god. This will burn right through my hands if I actually applied it. way so that it wouldn't eat through any trash bag or anything of that sort. So it's essentially acid at this point. So then another couple weeks go by and he goes shopping once again. This time he noticed that the hysteria died down, even though the uh, quarantine at the time was still active. People weren't panic buying, and people just buried that there was a potentially fatal pandemic happening. But then he looked around at all the other customers and the staff. They took note of their skin and saw that it was all eroding had these sores, eating mostly at their hands, but sometimes their face, and also their arms, their neck, wherever the skin was visible. The most common places where the skin would be eaten out would be high contact places, 
hands, face, things of that sort. So I kind of thought, huh, people couldn't find hand sanitizer, but were desperate for it. They must have gone with a type of hand sanitizer that just erodes at their skin and face in the way that I've encountered. next week, and it was the same thing, but worse. And it was like every week he would go do his shopping. It would be like people's skin were eroding right in front of him. So then one day he goes to the pharmaceutical section. Kroger store, and he counters the man in the trench coat once again, with the rainstorm hat, and confronts him about the san hand sanitizer, and he said, hey, you gave me sanitizer that wasn't sanitizer at all. It was some sort of acid that would have just eaten right through my hands, cut down to the bone. It's more deadly than the virus. He started to explain, well, not that it's any concern, but I used to work at Kroger. And I'll sell an extra reserve of hand sanitizer that wasn't actually sanitizer. It's a dangerous sub substance that you mentioned. But you would sell it to people panicking about the virus. And it would eat at their skin. But they would buy it regardless. to plead to people to stop shopping at this location. 
so they wouldn't get a malicious hand sanitizer that would eat away at them while they tried to protect themselves. called Peace and Quiet. time to relax at the sauna that he built in his native country of Finland. He built it himself uh, last summer, right in his backyard, or a quick drive from his backyard, rather. Almost every sunset, just relaxing, watching the sun go down, listening to either talk radio or something like that. Or some sort of keen horror program that he was into. It was hard for him not to get spooked because the sauna's location was so desolate and isolated.
one day he's prepping his sauna and listening to the radio. And he's just relaxing, you know, feeling the heat against his skin, watching the sun go down. on the radio about an invasion of an alien species that came to Earth. And Victor thought, oh no, this isn't a War of the Worlds, is it? Because I felt I fell for that before. and then shut off the radio. And just spends the, you know, the rest of his sauna in peace and quiet. So the next day he does the same thing, uh, drives up to the sauna, preps it, then turns on the radio. But when he turns on the radio, all he hears is white noise and static. He was someone who wasn't against using a white noise machine uh, before he slept or something of the sort. some sort of talk radio going on, you know, or like some music or something, but he switched to all the radio stations, and they all had vacant signals of empty studios, of ambient sounds, every channel had a new iteration of static. night, he said, fine, I guess I'll just listen to the white noise. So he would just sit and listen to it, the iterations of static that seemed uh, almost in sync with uh, the rhythm of his own thoughts. And he would just like watch the, stu- the sun steadily go down, hide behind the clouds. Lighting in the sky transform into all the violets and oranges that he never missed. But as he continued to listen to the white noise radio, He heard some more buzzing in the background. Some vague voices uh, buried beneath the static. And he 
thought, oh, maybe there's a talk radio station or something. So we tried to turn the dial and try to tune in to what the voices were saying. So eventually you turn the dial to a, a signal where you could hear the voices as clearly as he could, but it was still very grainy, very buried. And it didn't sound like any sort of broadcast that he heard. It sounded more like a conversation. One that was not spoken in a way to be eavesdropped on or to be broadcasted. to turn the volume up to get a cl much clearer image of it. He turned it up higher and higher so the chatter could be more distinct. He leaned his ear closer to it, really trying to piece together what they were saying. And then the signal cut off. flip through all the channels and there's no white noise to be found at all. And then he turned around and realized that the batteries were dead. He thought, ah, I freaked myself out there for a second. that he might have had some more batteries at his car. So he went over, dug into the glove box, uh, dug, dug in between the seats, checked the trunk, checked the canister between the driver's seat and the front passenger seat. Maybe there was something tucked away in a cup holder or something. But he didn't have any luck. And then he thought to himself, oh, well, I could have sworn I got just got new batteries for this thing. So weird for the radio to cop out just now. And then for the second night, he said, you know what? I wouldn't mind the peace and quiet. So that night he just went on and just enjoyed his sauna and the sunset amongst the peace and quiet and just the sounds of nature around him and the ocean. So on this third day, 
he started off, he started off uh, prepping the sun in his, in his usual way. But he had an inkling, inkling in himself that said, You know what, this preparation of the sauna is going to be the bee's knees. I want this to be the best sauna sash session I've had in a while. So he got some firewood and uh, sorted it in a way that he thought would burn really nice. Got some extra water. Had some beer with him. have a radio with him. He thought instead of being interrupted by the need of wanting to listen to something and then having to deal with peace and quiet, I'm just going to start with the peace and quiet from the get-go. sauna and that's uh, just enough time for him to enjoy the sunset. And then he heard a loud knocking on the door of the sauna. possibly be. He doesn't know a lot of people who know about his, about his secret sauna location. So he just puts on a towel and then answers the door. And then he sees another man frantic. His clothes are all torn and bloody. And then he asks point blank, are you a survivor? And then Victor asks the survivor, a survivor of what? Well, the invasion. They came and they wiped everything out. It's like when you eat cheese fries and you eat all the cheese and the fries and you just have a bunch of french fry bits buried in the cheese. That's where civilization is at right now. Virtually destroyed. And then the man said, You can come with me if you'd like. I think uh, I heard about a shelter uh, further up north. survive the attack, and then uh, we're going to figure out what to do next. 
Victor said, oh, no, I'm gonna enjoy the rest of my time in the sauna. again. Huh, an apocalypse. I never thought I'd live to see that. Alright, this next story is called Caligula, the little alligator with a very large mouth. fucking thing they've ever seen. Caligula. The little alligator. Benny and Donnie went to Florida. To the Everglades. To see a bunch of alligators in their habitat. Or they were crocodiles. They never could quite get the difference straight. In this case, they were alligators, or that's what they called them. They were on a, a boat tour to see them. The tour guide will talk about the history of the Everglades, how they were preserved over the years, and then point out any sort of alligators that would pop up. guide would point out these uh, 
little alligator friends, Benny and Donnie, would just be like, oh my god, fucking alligators. I love it. to their hotel in Fort Lauderdale. They were gonna play out the rest of their vacation, just uh, hanging out on the beach at the resort they were staying at. so fucking cute, and Donnie was just like, oh yeah, really, really fucking cute. And then Benny was just like, oh, did you not think they were cute? And then Donnie said, well, yeah, I thought they were the cutest uh, fucking thing ever, but there's something I gotta tell you. And then Benny's just like, what is it, Donnie? And Donnie said, well, so then he stopped talking and then opened his backpack. saw a little, and then Donnie pulled out a little tiny alligator hanging out in the backpack, and then Benny's just like, Donnie, what the fuck? And then, you know, Donnie's just like, what? And Benny's just like, you can't just take a baby alligator from the Everglades, or a crocodile, you know, one of the two. It fucks up with the environment and leaves us with an alligator to take care of. And then Donnie said, yeah, but we can do that, though. And then Benny said, how are you even going to take it on the plane, you know? And then Donnie said, all right, well, can we just, like, hang on to it, you know, hang out with the alligator? And then when we, when we leave Fort Lauderdale in Florida, we can just, you know, return the alligator back to its natural habitat. Let's just hang out with the alligator for just a couple more days, tops. said, all right, fine, fine. And then Donnie got really excited and started to fill up their bathtub so that uh, the alligator can just like hang out and swim in there. And then Donnie, still super excited, said, uh, huh, what should we call the little alligator? What should we call this little alligator friend? And Benny says, how about Caligula? And then Donnie's like, yeah, Caligula. Our little alligator friend. Hanging out in our bathtub. On 
this Fort Lauderdale vacation. discussed that they would go hanging out at the beaches during the rest of their vacation. They actually spent that entire next day hanging out with uh, Caligula, the little alligator. Just like in the bathtub and whatnot, you know, splashing around. Sometimes Caligula would just give like little playful bites and whatnot. It's like, oh, it's so adorable. Uh, little alligator friend. It was also fun to just uh, watch Caligula be an alligator just in itself. They've had dogs and cats, but never an alligator. They got a glimpse into an alligator's uh, natural state of being. Splashing around with Caligula in the bathtub. Donnie leaves to go to the bathroom because he, he felt insecure about it doing it in front of their little baby alligator friend. So then it's just Benny and Caligula alone in the bathtub together. And then Benny says, Oh, you know, Donnie was right. You are a really totally fucking cute alligator. then Caligula turns to Benny and says, You know, Donnie stole money out of your wallet when you weren't looking. And then Benny's just like, What? What? And then Caligula says, Yeah, go check. So Benny goes to his wallet. And he checks it, and there's $30 left less than when he checked it previously. two things he couldn't fathom was how Caligula the alligator was talking and how Caligula would know that Donnie stole money out of Benny's wallet. Returned. And then he says, oh yeah, good old Caligula, very cute and whatnot. And then Benny said, Donnie, did you take money out of my wallet? And then Donnie said, what? And then Benny said, did you? Donnie said, no, I didn't take anything. Benny said, well, I saw that 30 bucks were missing out of my wallet. Did you take it? 
And then Donnie relinquished and said, Alright, fine, I just got some snacks. And then Benny said, Sub snacks? And then Donnie replied, Well, a lot of snacks, but you know, I brought them to the room. They're in the cabinet. We can eat them together and whatnot. And then Benny said, Well, Donnie, I don't mind that, you know, I'm down for snacks and all, but you gotta tell me about things like this, you know? Really adds into the trust of our relationship. And then Donnie says, okay, yeah, totally, I can do that. So they spend more time, you know, playing in the bathtub with Caligula, you know, splashing around. Caligula seems to be having a good time, you know, a better time than uh, before he allegedly talked to Benny. Donnie gets up and goes to have a cigarette on the balcony. So then Benny's slashing around with Caligula, a bit more skeptical this time. how he uh, imagined that Caligula the Alligator was talking. And then Caligula turns to Benny once again, and he says, You know, Donnie wasn't going to the bathroom earlier. He was on the phone with stockbrokers as a part of a scheme to uh, siphon money out of nonprofits as an embezzlement thing. Benny's just like, what the fuck? And then Donnie returns. And then Bonnie, and then Benny says, Donnie! Caligula said you're participating in an embezzlement scheme? And then Donnie said, I was gone for five minutes. How could that possibly happen? So then Benny said, well, you know, Caligula was was right about you taking money out of my wallet. And then Donnie says, whoa, whoa, you're gonna... What? Alligator's talking. There's a lot of things happening at once here. And then Benny said, yeah. Caligula told me everything. They took money from my wallet, and they took money from non-profits. And then Donnie said, this is getting a bit ridiculous. I think we should uh, return uh, Caligula, or the alligator, back to the Everglades, because uh, you're starting to lose a little bit. And then Benny said, no, I'm not losing it at all. turned to Donnie and said, you know, it was Benny that ate your Valentine's Day chocolate, so it wasn't squirrels like he told you. And then Donnie said, Benny, what the hell? And then Benny said, look, I was really hungry, you know, and I thought, you know, I'd get, get really pissed if you knew that I ate your uh, 
chocolate for your mother. So I blamed it on squirrels. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then Donnie said, well, we're talking about trust, you know. I need to trust you too, you know. Actually, Benny's participating in a corrupt waste management union. Trying to rig elections in that regard. And then Donnie said, Benny, why would you do that? And then Benny said, oh what, you're gonna believe an alligator over me? And then Donnie said, well you did. Alright, alright, we gotta... Let's have a conversation without the alligator. So they leave the bathroom and lock the door. And they're just like, how does this alligator know all these personal secrets? And then Donnie just says, I don't know, but uh, we gotta... We gotta get rid of them. We, we, gotta, we gotta put them back to the Everglades, you know? He has a very big mouth. Like agreed. And then Nani said, But you know, now Caligula knows that we're onto him. So it might be more difficult to put him in a bag and take him back to the Everglades. And then Benny said, Oh, well, we gotta try. And then Benny said, Well, you caught him last time. How about you grab the bag? I'll open the door. Try to like break in and figure something out. I'll try to wrangle him and help you shove him in the bag, but you have the bag steady, you know, when I go after him. So they uh, get ready. Benny puts him some gloves that they have, some gardening gloves. Donnie has his bag and he says, Alright, ready. So they open the door find the bathroom to be empty. And the air vent lid uh, being removed, torn out, along with a lot of other scratch marks and bite marks around the room. And they're just like, shit, we gotta find this alligator. But we gotta call the front desk or someone. Let someone know. And then they hear some screams on the floor below them in the lobby. So they go downstairs and See Caligula roaming around. A couple of people, staff members of the hotel, were trying to catch him. But Caligula's too fast. So 
Donnie tries to approach him with the bag, and Benny tries to grab him with the gloves, just like their original plan. check-in area to the dining area and then back again to the bar area as well Donnie finally grabs the alligator and then shoves it in the bag they seal the bag and then just leave the hotel very quickly they get a taxi to the Everglades try to get as close to the uh, area of the Everglades as they could area close to where they were going on tour. And Donnie's holding the bag full of Caligula. And then they, Donnie unhinges the bag and then lets Caligula go. This last story is called The Bubblegum Vampire.
child of the 80s, there is a lot of uh, junk food mascots around, you know, potato chip bear, uh, sugar cereal frog, but my all-time favorite mascot was Bubblegum Vampire. I went to Wawa or something like that. I'd always get vampire bubblegum because I really like the mascot on it. It wasn't like Ronald McDonald, that mysterious clown. No, the bubblegum vampire was a, was a mascot you could trust. like that purple McDonald's guy that did a commercial with Donald Trump. No. Bubblegum Vampire was much more grassroots. Always participated in local events and whatnot. Always trying to help out the community. And I thought, uh, Bubblegum Vampires, you know, I want to be like that when I grow up. Appearing at my local Wawa, I was extremely excited because boy, boy howdy, I love Bubblegum Vampire. Bubblegum Vampire. Very stoked about the endeavor. I had my sign and, uh... And then a car came and... Bubblegum Vampire in full costume came out. And the crowd was screaming, but, uh, he had to have a conversation with some, uh executives first, both with the bubblegum company and the local local Wawa manager. And then after their conversation, which reflecting on on as a reflecting on it as an adult, I assumed it had to do with pay or whatnot or how long he had to spend uh, doing his appearance. presented himself to the crowd, and everyone freaked out. I did the most. I shook my I love you bubblegum vampire sign uh, sporadically. I started to toss out bubblegum to the kids, handing them out, even giving some autographs.
bubblegum vampire comic book, which, reflecting on it, uh, was just a signature by a mascot, probably diminishing its value if I was someone who would sell my comics, which I usually don't do. else, he just uh, went in the car and left. So then I held my uh, vampire bubblegum that he gave out, Then I never ate it because this vampire bubblegum was special. And then as the years went by, vampire bubblegum went out of business. But I still had my vampire bubblegum and my signature from that mascot. This wasn't the same bubblegum vampire that came to my hometown, but the one that would be on television, the, uh, the paid actor who would uh, sponsor those events. It came out that he was a cannibal, and he would eat bubblegum to, uh, so he would stay away from human flesh. He said that vampire bubblegum the only thing that can keep his mind off of eating the delicious human flesh and blood. And that's why he uh, became a... That's why he became a the bubblegum vampire, so that he could have as much of a supply as he wanted. And didn't have to cave to his uh, visceral urges of devouring human flesh and blood. came out, some childhood friends would joke, huh, it's like he's a literal bubblegum vampire. And then I'd say, you leave him alone. I'd get very emotional about it, because I still had my vampire bubblegum from that day, long ago. bubblegum vampire, the actor who would be in those television commercials. He started a rehabilitation program about how not to be a cannibal, 
It wasn't rocket science to most people, but he appealed to a demographic where uh, human flesh was very delicious, and he tried to come up with a kind of an AA type of program for it. Just like, hey, if you desire human flesh, here's a hotline you can call. Here's some help you can seek out, some counseling, you know. Because you shouldn't eat human flesh. You shouldn't drink people's blood without their consent. It's very uncool. And he became a major spokesperson about it. And then, when I found out the bulk of these stories as they progressed, I found out he didn't, li he didn't live too far from the town that I lived in. I decided to visit him, just uh, call a childhood nostalgia, call it a sense of justice, call it a whim. But I went to see the bubblegum vampire. I told him I was just like a, a fan with some questions, and he said, okay, fine. He was used to people bringing up cannibalism and whatnot. He was, since he was an ad advocate against it, he didn't, he would, he could use all the press that he could, basically. So we sit in his office somewhere, full of papers on his desk and all that. said, yeah, you were a big influence influence on me, you know, the way you uh, participated in, like, uh, grassroots things and whatnot, you know, I really looked up to you, and then uh, the bubblegum vampire, you know, being very old at this point, said, huh, thanks, kid, thanks, and then I said, actually, that's why I wanted to give you something. So I reach into my pocket, and I give him the vampire bubblegum that that one mascot gave me all those years ago. And it's worth noting that since vampire bubblegum was long out of business, they haven't man manufactured any bubblegum in years. This was a rarity. A prized collector's item for any bubblegum enthusiasts out there. said, oh wow, I haven't seen this in ages, haven't seen anything like it, really. And I said, oh well, you know, I just wanted to give it to you because just as a token of how much you meant to me, and in case you have any sort of like uh, cannibalistic urges or whatnot, I thought I'd give this to you as a way, as like a last resort of a way to resist uh, caving into those urges, because I heard that you chewed on that bubblegum just as a way to resist them, so this is my way of giving back, I suppose, for all that you've given me. And then the bubblegum vampire nodded. He held the vampire bubblegum in his hand, 
He tears up a little bit from the sentimentality of our exchange. And then he says, oh, you know, holding the scum again, it really brings it all back. And I say, yeah, I'm sure it does. And he says, no, I mean, the hunger. It brings the hunger back for me. I say, well, haha, <laughs> you know, trying to pass it off as a joke. I say, well, you know, you could just uh, chew the gum if, you know, if you're that hungry, you know. And then he said, you know, kid, uh, so I've, uh, this is just a very old withered gum. The flavor won't retain, won't be retained in this vampire gum. No, I need flesh and blood to satiate these urges because I don't want to go through the pain of going another second without someone's blood oozing down my throat getting soaked in between my gums using my teeth to bite into that juicy juicy flesh that vampire bubblegum quality of delicious flesh juice. And I uh, say, well, you know, I better uh, get going, you know. I have a lot of stuff to do. Uh, I'm just gonna head out. I'm gonna leave you to your nostalgia and your memories. And he grabs me and said, no, stay. You should stay for dinner. I definitely think. And then I say, uh, I've seen enough movies about cannibals to know what that means. So I just jerk myself free and I storm out of the house. I run as fast as I can. And then he chases me down. And then he bites into me. And then I'm bleeding out. His eyes change, you know. He's become totally consumed by the hunger. And eventually he pins me down. suffocates me until I pass out. And then I wake up in his house, chained down in his kitchen. He has a bunch of kitchenware set up, a bunch of cooking supplies. I didn't know why I was still alive, why it didn't just cut me then. Just, you know, setting up the sides, really prepping everything except for the main course, main course, which was me in this moment. So as he's prepping, he sees me wake up. He says in a very meek voice, 
need you to talk me out of it. And I say, what? And he says, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. You have to plead to me. You have to do something to prevent me from doing this. Hurry. So without really thinking, you know, I just, I just start to recite, uh, the vampire bubblegum commercial, you know, talking about the succulence of chewing on it. That doesn't do anything. Then I try to talk about the advocacy programs that he started, about how not to be a cannibal, and try to recite his own rules to him. But then that doesn't do the trick either. last-ditch effort, I just say, you know, I talk about how much of an influence he's been on me, you know, bettering my life, uh, reading his, uh, you know, his habits and whatnot. And then he, uh, starts to simmer down a little bit. such a big influence on you, I don't want to put you through this pain at all, you know. So then he unchains me. And I'm just like, alright, good, you did the right thing, bubblegum vampire. And he says, please, call me Franklin, that's my actual name. You know, I don't know why you've been calling me uh, bubblegum vampire this whole time. I just confess, I just say, well, you know, when I would always watch those commercials with you and them talking about vampire bubblegum, you were so persuasive about the deliciousness of the bubblegum, but it only took me until now that you're really using your persuasive powers for human flesh talk about the juicy succulence of vampire bubblegum, I would have it myself, and I was just like, you know, it's okay and all, but now I realize that it was for human flesh this whole time, and then the bubblegum vampire says, well, what are you saying, and then I say, I was, you know, I was, I was, being truthful when I said I looked up to you. I looked up the way you lived and I tried to emulate that to my own standards. Including your taste for human flesh. And who could be more delicious than the bubblegum vampire? And then I devoured him that night. It's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. Nice. Yeah, that that uh that one took some turns, but I was certainly into it. Um, um, oh man, I've I've been uh drinking due to the state of things, but anyway. 
I'm Kyle Carezzi. And this has been Quarantine Spook Show. Good night.